Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy 50 edition of the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Stacey Bendett, founder and CEO of fashion brand Alice and Olivia. In May, Stacey rolled out Creatively, a job platform and networking app for art directors, designers, and the like. And a month later, she launched Share the Mic Now to amplify the voices of black women. I wanted to ask her about what drove her new ventures and what she plans to prioritize post-2020. Welcome, Stacy. Hi, thank you. Thank you for being here. Well, congrats, first of all, for being among our Glossy 50, well-deserved. <laughs> thank you so much. It's an honor. Of course. So talk to me, an outside-of-the-box year. Uh, I want to jump into all of the new projects, but I also have to start where I know you best, which is New York Fashion Week presentations, yes. like epic every time. What went down Thank this you. this season and was it able to be comparable in any way? You know, it wasn't comparable in terms of scale or audience, but we did something so special at Alice and Olivia in September. You know, I got to New York. I went back to New York for a few weeks to get the lines finished and to get our show prepared. And the energy of the city was just so special. Like the people that had stayed in New York were creatives. They were musicians and dancers and artists and designers who were there throughout the pandemic and working. And there was this feeling of like strength and solidarity and, and old school New York, you know, from like the 80s, 90s. And I looked at my team and I was like, you know, like we're not going to all of a sudden make a movie. We're not obviously doing a big event. And I was like, let's feature the women of New York and like the heart and soul of New York. And we chose violinists and ballerinas and hip hop dancers. And we created this pop-up performance in the middle of 14th street. And while it was only a few minutes long, it was so emotional and so powerful because it sort of reminded everyone of why we love New York and why New York is such a special place and why we know New York will come back from this. Right on. And and also when I saw all these dancers in my clothes, it just brought everything to life in a way that was so much more powerful than, you know, a regular photo shoot or anything else I'd ever done. It was it was a really emotional moment. Definitely. So what happens next season? Do you go back to the presentation? Do you try to replicate what you did in September? You know, it's like you just don't know. I think the next season is, you know, in February, we'll show fall 2021. Um, and I honestly think that going forward, Fashion Week will become a more consumer-facing interface where or event where, the you know, it's not about the next season. It's about the now because brands need to sell what's now. You know, brands don't need millions of eyeballs on things that aren't going to come out for you know, many, many months. And so I think that like this, this sort of whole period has turned things upside down. And it's made us also realize how incredibly virtual we can be, right? Like the yeah. fact that, you know, normally if, if someone wanted to interview me, I'd be like, oh my God, when do I have time to do this? But when it's a Zoom or, you know, you're, you're just, everyone is instantly instantly global at the moment. You know, you can live yeah. in one place and work somewhere else. It's, we, we're sort of in this seamless, seamless world at the moment. Um, and I'm not quite sure Definitely. what that means for Fashion Week. You know, I mean, why does Fashion Week need to happen in a million different cities? Why do women, you know, who have children need to leave their families for a month to go see shows? I just think that this is going to, you know, sort of 
on one hand, give us a tremendous nostalgia because I miss throwing big events. I miss everyone seeing things in person and touching the clothes. But I don't think that we will have this like month long fashion month anymore. Yes. Aw. <laughs> it's like, it's sad, but yes, evolution, evolution. <laughs> for Evolution. Sure. It's a little bit of evolution. Totally. Well, you mentioned the dancers in your clothes. Want to know, like, has your design aesthetic changed? I always think of, you know, Alice and Olivia as being uh, bold, maybe structured, yeah. maybe girl, uh, feminine, but also, feminine. yeah, bright. Um, how would you describe it? Is that changing? Yeah, um, I think the biggest pivot we've made during this was, you know, acknowledging that our customers experience a, a much more casual lifestyle right now. And so the way we're styling things, the way we're marketing them. And we took our classics collection, which was our line that was really for working women. I mean, it was like classic items to like, you know, blazers to go back to your jeans, chic trousers to wear with any blouse. Like it was all of our workwear pieces. And we said, you know, our classics collection needs to be more casual. And, you know, we're launching a uh, more of like a, a a casual line, which is really based around sweatpants. And the irony being that, like, it's been almost 20 years since I started Alice and Olivia. And when I started, it was all about, like, novelty pants. And I was like, 20 years later, we're all about the sweatpants. So we're going <laughs> to launch this line of, like, eight different sweatpants. It's sort of like a sweatpant for every woman, right? Definitely. You know, and, and they're meant to be the sort of, like, cozy, casual pieces that you can wear at home and out. Yes. Oh, my gosh. My favorite pants. I'm sure they're, like... I don't know if they're a bestseller of yours, but they're definitely like a great high waist trouser and oh, wide leg. Yeah. Anyway, you guys have great pants. Yeah, the Dylan. <laughs> yeah, we we kind of like oh, we we're always so known for like our like chic high waist wide leg kind of pants. Yeah, but now we're launching this whole line of like super chic kind of cozy pants. How exciting. Are you what's happening with your wholesale partners? Is, first of all, is, is that relationship changing? Are you moving more towards direct like I'm hearing is a trend among brands? Uh, yeah. And are they going for that? They also want the cozy wear. Right. I mean, I think that listen, I still think there's the world of wholesale is exists and retailers are marketers and and editors and curators. Um, but I think that the days of you know, growth by numbers where you're just flooding the stores with more and more product and then selling it on sale, like that's sort of over. I think we're entering a period where there's going to be, and this started before COVID, but, you know, was sort of exacerbated by it where mm -hmm. people want things a little bit more curated and it's, we don't need as much. We've realized that we need a little bit less and it's about, for me, like making each item feel really, really beautiful and special versus like flooding a store with tons of product. So I think that the wholesale business is, and in, you know, in the, in the retail world, like, is it hurting right now because of a, you know, diminished amount of foot traffic and tourism and everything else? Of course. But I believe in the resilience of the American people. And I definitely believe in the resilience of women globally and, people are going to want to shop again. They're going to want to go out again. And retailers are an important part of fashion. Um, yeah. So I think that brands right now are more focused on their direct business because they can control that all more digitally. But I think as the world reopens, you know, wholesale will come back. Yes, I hope so. Talk to me about your uh, your own stores. Are you changing your approach to uh, even the setup or uh, the role that they play in your whole business model? Well, I think right now every brand's focus is more digital because that's your easier way to reach a customer that's not traveling, that's not going out as much. Um, but I think that, 
you know, going forward, I've always had a pretty like specific retail model. Like we're not like a mall brand, you know, we have kind of small boutiques and great areas. And I think that I still believe in that hybrid model of, of digital and, and, and retail. I mean, are my New York city stores getting crushed? Yes. But I feel like were we to have a new mayor who managed the city a little bit better, like, you know, like, thank God we've got an amazing governor. But I think that, you know, New York will come back. New York's just being hurt right now by by the fact that it's being mismanaged. Right on. Let's jump to some of your other projects. We're going to bounce around a little bit. But what inspired creatively? Uh, did I describe it correctly? Yeah. Job so platform. Go ahead. It's a job platform for creatives. In, in, in simple terms, it is a place for creatives to find work opportunities and a place for companies to find creatives globally. And I think that what's interesting right now is how seamlessly global we are at the minute at moment, right? So where I used to say like, why is it that you can Airbnb and have a house anywhere in the world and you can Uber and not even have to own a car, but like you're still finding your jobs on LinkedIn. And like right. LinkedIn is like a great resource if you're like in sales or an accountant and your resume works on a piece of white paper. But if you were a creative and, and that really isn't just in fashion, right? It's architects, it's chefs, it's painters, it's, you know, designers, pattern makers, anyone whose resume requires a portfolio is not serviced by the world of LinkedIn. And so Creatively is meant to be that place for people whose talents, uh, let's say, expand beyond a piece of white computer paper to showcase their work, to find new work, to connect with other creatives. So it's truly a job platform for the creative world. Yes. I know on your um, Creatively's Instagram, uh, you're posting some of those those jobs as well. Is Instagram, would you say, is pretty uh, integrated or maybe are people finding you that way? Yeah, it is. Like we don't look at Instagram as competition. We look at it as a, like almost like a partner, right? Because, yeah. you know, Instagram is for sharing your life, right? Creatively yes. is for sharing your work. And if you want to share your work to the people who follow your life, you share it to Instagram and and creatively uses Instagram to promote all of the creatives we have on our platform. So it's really like a it's a it's a synergistic, you know, sort of experience. But creatively offers like incredible portfolio tools and photo sharing tools that go well beyond the kind of you know, imagery you can share on Instagram. It's high-res photos, high-res video, uh, the ability to like nest albums and move your albums around. Um, so it's it was really built for the creative. Yes, and this is free to use. Tell me about the mm-hmm. business model. How, how are you making money there? So right now it's free for all, but eventually we will charge the companies that we are working with to post their job listings. So right now, just to get everyone on there, we're obviously like free, like this is our, this is our gift to the, to the COVID world. Um, It will always be free to creatives because it is built for creatives. And that was something that was really important to me, but the ability for companies to use it, companies can use it to find talent, but also to create projects. So like, if you are hiring people, you know, and, and most people think of job platforms as being for full-time work, whereas like you can use creatively to find freelance talent. Um, right. So companies can use it to simply post job opportunities and job and listings and openings. Um, they can use it to search for talent, but they can also use it to create projects. So 
like, let's say this week, I'm actually doing a project in West Hollywood. And I was like, okay, I've just decided on a photographer and I actually want to hire a new stylist for this. So I would go on creatively. I would find those options of people. I could share them with my team and you can actually set up the project, put every, connect everyone and share all those images as a, you know, in work project before you post it as a completed project. How great. So you saw the need in the market. Uh, yep. People are still <laughs> working from home. Yep. Where do you see this going, I guess, as the world opens up, as these, I guess, shoots IRL are probably going <laughs> to bounce back? I think there's going to be like just a um, openness to employing people who live in different parts of the world because so many companies have seen how well they're you know, communities and and employees work from home, other people, other types of companies. And for my company, it's weird because there's like certain like teams that have really done well during this. And then other teams where you're like, you've got to be in the office to do a fitting on a model. Right. Yeah. So um, you're going to have less of a rigidity in terms of how things are done and how people work in the future. And I think there will be more opportunities, especially for creatives to sort of find work globally. You know, obviously right now it might be tough to find work. You know, there's not as many shoots happening. There's not as much production happening. There's not as many, you know, like job opportunities, but that's going to change. Like, and my advice to all creatives is keep creating, keep doing what you do, keep pushing yourself and, you know, and just keep putting your resumes and portfolios and work out there for the world to see because this isn't forever. Yes. Is it 90%, I guess, company fashion companies that are coming to you? And I know, I know you're using it personally. No, it's crazy. I mean, we're working with everyone from like HBO to Nickelodeon to Viacom to um, Facebook to, you know, it's like everyone because every company today has creative needs. When you yeah. think about it, you know, it's not just fashion businesses that have creative hires. Every company today is like a media company. The amount of content that we are putting out into the world each day between our e-com and emails and social media is sort of like exponentially growing. And because of that, companies have creative needs, whether you're Alice and Olivia or Pizza Hut. Right. <laughs> For sure. I don't know if Pizza Hut's even still open, but you got my point. <laughs> Let me also ask you about Share the Mic Now. That started yes. in June. Um, what inspired this? I, I I have a hunch. Yeah. So, you know, as the world started to unravel a little bit um, and, you know, the pro- like the protests began, I just kept looking around being like, what can I do to help? Like, how can I use my platform to help create change right now? There's so much anger. There's so much divide. And the voices of Black women need to be magnified through this. And um, I came, I, I had this idea, like, about giving my platform over to, you know, a Black woman to just take it over for the day. Like, I trust you. Here's my password. Here's my account. You speak your voice. Like, let us listen. And I called up my dear friend, Bazoma St. John, who is just an amazing, amazing woman. And I said, I have this idea. You might say I'm crazy, but I think we could get like, you know, huge celebrities, influencers, businesswomen, like from all walks of life to join this movement and share the mic. 
And that's how, like, the idea came up. Um, Sydney awesome. Rising, actually, my my publicist came up with the hashtag of share the mic now, which was pretty brilliant because we were like, you know, um, you know, we kept like going back and forth on what do we call this. But what share the mic became was not only like a global movement of white women saying, hey, we need to listen, we need to learn, and we want to help magnify the voices of black women. Um, but I think it also became a way that in the future, what I hope is that, you know, it's like a, a new way of social sharing. It's like yeah. one of the most positive moments in social media over the last year that like hundreds of women just started you know, handing over, I mean, from Hillary Clinton to Julia Roberts to Gwyneth Paltrow to, you know, Sheryl Sandberg, like, it was like, everyone just said, hey, here, go take my platform and you speak and let's magnify your voice and your mission and your story. So it was so powerful. I would say of all the things I've done in my career, it was one of the most emotional because it was a little scary, you know, like we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if people were going to be angry or supportive or what. Um, But the women I worked with, uh, Bazoma and uh, Lovey and Glennon Doyle were, it was, you know, we just kind of came together and we were like, we need to be fearless right now and let's do it. Um, And then from there, so many other women have sort of taken the concept and like created their own share the mics, which has been cool. There was a version in the UK and I'm hoping that it sort of continues globally because I think the concept of sharing the mic, you know, just the, the, just the concept of sharing the mic, whether it's for black women, whether it's for, um, you know, environmental issues, whether it's for climate change, whether it's for politics, whatever it is, the fact that you can peacefully and positively impact so much change and bring people together at the same time, I think is pretty amazing. So I'm hoping that like share the mic becomes more of a movement that crosses all different, you know, sort of subjects and issues. Definitely. What's the key to getting something like that off the ground for getting attention? I mean, there were some really strong women that were pushing this forward. So, you know, between... I think, you know, Bazoma and I and, and Glennon and, and Lovey, like we just pulled in everyone we could think of to support, right? So we had some of the most powerful women in the world handing over their platforms to brilliant, incredible black women, activists, businesswomen, you know, and, and it was the curation, I think, was was really key um, in creating like diversity in terms of who was sharing and who was speaking not just diversity in terms of the type of women, but in terms of what the women did, right? We didn't want it to yeah. be all fashion or all celebrity. It was really, we wanted substance. Um, so that was really key. And then, you know, it just kind of went viral. Um, you know, we had, and and we just worked together in this way that, I mean, it was, we did the entire thing in one week. And I mean, the, the out, pouring of support and the power. I mean, Bazoma, we know, you know, she's the CMO of Netflix now. She was at William Morris at the time. She is just the most powerful, impressive woman. Um, But I think we all just kind of took our roles and our parts and just went. Yeah. And it was, we were, it was teamwork. Yes. What's key to kind of keeping those conversations going, ensuring that it's not, I don't know, a trend over the summer? Well, that's the thing. It's that I mean, what I want and I hope that we all kind of come back together and do more of this is we need people to keep sharing. 
We need those moments to continue to happen. We need women to, you know, it's so often in our social media lives these days, things are like a huge big issue for like two days and then they're done, yeah. you know, but the work is not over. There's so much that, um, you know, still remains to be improved and fixed and, and changed. Um, and I think that a big part of that is encouraging people to keep sharing, encouraging change is both in our, you know, political structure, corporate structure, and social structures. Definitely. Let's pivot again. We're talking Instagram. Yeah. Um, I know that your your Instagram and the brand's Instagram, am I correct that they're one and the same? I love- Yep, I, I am, Allison Olivia. <laughs> when people like email like mean messages, like, I didn't get my shipment. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, it's literally me. Like, I now, like through this pandemic, and especially when we launched masks, I had to hire someone to handle all the like inbox. Oh, I'm sure. Because- there was like a moment where when we launched our masks, um, there was such a large number of orders for them, which was amazing, except for that our warehouse was not set up to ship that many individual $10 items. Like oh, we're not no. Amazon. I was like, sorry. <laughs> so we were not really prepared for like, I don't know, like a hundred times the amount of shipping we normally have. So I and I was very apologetic and like offered people refunds. I was like, we were like, we couldn't just hire more people because we had COVID rules of how many people could even be in. So it was it was traumatic, but we got through it. But um, yeah, I I am the Alice and Olivia Instagram. Um, I love it. And and I think sometimes that's good. And sometimes like sometimes I'm like, oh my god, couldn't we, couldn't someone just like do this for right now? And 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 I think like. I don't know. I mean, I go back and forth and, you know, like any, I guess, entrepreneur, designer, whatever, like some empty second guess, should, should it be all brands? Should it be all products? Should mine be separate? But then I think, you know, it's just my life. Like that's how my life is. My life is this confluence and hybrid of, you know, my work world, my home world, my friend world. And that's what my Instagram is. Yeah. I feel like you're ahead of the game. I feel like every, every other designer is now trying to <laughs> build a community and build that connection and get their face on a live every once in a while. But, um, yeah. I, you know, there are times I love it when it's authentic. Like when I, when I'm with friends and it's really authentic, I hate when people are like, Oh, like we need you to post this. And I'm like, uh, like I am not an actress guys. I was like, I'm a designer. I'm a mom. I'm a pretty good Yogi, but like, I am like not ever, like I know I was never asked to be in a commercial. Let's be real. So, um, so we kind of joke about it because there are times where, and I always say like, I do my best when I'm being my real self, you know? Yeah. I love it. Talk to me about the, about masks. So this has been a significant category. Has it added up those $10? Yeah. Fashion trend of the decade. Yeah. So yeah, we, so I kind of like saw what was happening in China early on and, and I was like, okay, if this comes to New York, it's going to be bad. And when, you know, and then when everything started, when there was this void of masks, my first instinct was how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? And I started you know, making masks. And then they'd be like, oh, we need gowns. We need masks. We need this. We need that. And I was like, okay, well, I can't like make things that are PPE approved. Like I don't have those filters right. and those materials and China won't let us ship them out. And I said, I'm going to make secondary masks. And I said, and I will donate those. And I said, for everyone we sell, we'll donate one. And I started that like before it was even, it was like not legal to sell masks yet, I guess. So I got like in a little Instagram trouble, but I was like, I'm not selling medical grade masks. I'm basically selling like a bathing suit face. Like, you know, right. it was like a little thing. So, so we launched 
a campaign where it was, you know, um, masked together. And for every mask sold, we donated a mask to those in need. And we and our goal was to donate 100,000 masks, which we did. Um, getting them Amazing. made and shipped and it was way more complicated than I ever thought. Like, I was like, oh, I'll make them in two weeks, you know? And it, it was way more complicated than what I thought just because, like, you know, China started saying that you couldn't ship masks out of there and we had to move it to Vietnam. And, I mean, it was very complicated. But our masks are... Not like N95 masks, you know, they're not medical grade, but they are really protective and actually made from almost like a bathing suit fabric. So um, we have two shapes, one that's just like really soft and stretchy and the other one that's like a little more of a curve, which um, is better if you have to talk all day, right? Like the bathing suit one is really cozy if you're just like running around and the other one is we're launching soon is like our curve shape, which is great. Um, Nice. But we we just launched this campaign to like mass together um, and to and and then we were throughout the year we've been donating masks to shelters, hospitals, anyone who needs them. So so nice. I feel like there was such a lull, uh, a lag between the the amount the the time that people started needing masks and the and the time that designers of any level, like especially luxury designers, started coming yeah. out with one. And it was well, it had but- to do with the it had to do with the timing. Like you had to get the pattern done. You had to get the production done and you had to get it shipped. Um, and, and also everyone was second guessing like what fabric, what shape, what the, you know, it wasn't like we all had patterns waiting, you know? So it was a little bit complicated. Yes. It sounds like it for sure. Uh. Um, talk to me about your team. Like you said, there were some pivots in terms of what you're producing, uh, maybe in terms of your manufacturer, uh, is, I guess, is everybody intact? What's happening? Yeah, no, everyone's pretty intact right now. Um, You know, we've had to move some things around. Like we sadly closed our sample room in New York because, you know, we couldn't open it for a while. And then we sort of saw that we were able to do things just as if not more efficiently kind of overseas from the start. Yeah. So, you know, we did things like that, that were things that we were sort of forced to do. But then on reflection, I think we're actually, actually beneficial to the company. Nice. And, you know, it's certain teams have been able to like work remotely and and do a good job. I think other teams have had a tougher time and like have to be in the office, you know, not every day, but a few days a week just to, you know, our business is tactile, you know, you've got to see a zipper, you've got to, you know, touch how something feels. So Totally. How do you think of 2020? I would think that uh, nobody's hitting their projections for the year. Do you just consider it? I don't know a do-over in 2021. How do you, I I hear a lot about the contemporary market being like squeezed, you know, like, I don't know if you're feeling that. You know, when you like film a video and then you're like, delete, redo, that's how I feel about 2020. It's like delete and redo. We're almost done. We get to redo. (laughs) Um, I think the contemporary market is being squeezed right now because think about it. Like, what is the contemporary market? It's working women and, you know, and girls who are, you know, buying their, you know, outfits to go to weddings and events and travel and dates. And like, they're not doing any of those things. So like the designer world, like your fancy handbag that, you know, you might still buy because like you're buying one thing for the season, like you're still buying your like workout clothes because that's what you're wearing every day. But the contemporary business is like, it's like taking a little nap. Yeah, <laughs> it will be back. So talk to me about long- longevity. 20 years, going on 20 years, which is wild. How would you explain 18 years in business? Is it just about changing, staying nimble? 
It's about being nimble and hard work. Yeah. It's about, and it's about passion and drive. Like you need to love what you do and you need to believe in it. And at the same time, you need to be nimble and aware and like, and you need to work your butt off. Like any, I always say like anyone can say they like my brand or they don't, but no one will ever deny that I am like an incredibly hard worker. Right on. Any regrets over the 18 years? I mean, probably, but like, <laughs> not going to like spill them out today. All right. You have it out. You know, mistakes get made, but I'm not that type of person that like looks back, like dwelling on those mistakes. You know, I, yes. I did make like, a f- I hired a few people like right before COVID started that I probably like, like were, mis- you know, realized were mistakes, but I don't know if they would have been mistakes yeah. if it hadn't been for COVID. Right. So, right. you know, I've definitely over the years made some hiring mistakes or, you know, just sit, like, th- I think that for me, like the times that I've been the hardest on myself are more when I, I, my instinct was to not do something and I let other people talk me into it. And then on, you know, after the fact was like, well, I didn't want to do that, you know? And, and those are the times I'm mad at myself, you know, other things I'm always like, Hey, let's like own our mistakes and learn and build off of that. And like, let's work together to fix it and to not, and to make sure it doesn't happen again. But those times where I like in my gut was like, I don't want to do this right now. And then did it, you know, and then, you know, even those though, you kind of be like, okay, well, we got here. Like, we're, what are we going to do now? And exactly. that, you know, and then sometimes those are tough management decisions. Sometimes those are tough hiring or firing decisions. But, you know, right now it's, you know, you've just got to, you got to run things really tightly right now. This is, these are like unprecedented, difficult times, especially in the contemporary world. So it was really good timing uh, for your fall 2020 collection. Speaking of evolution, Mm -hmm. I know that you focus heavily on sustainability. I don't know if that was new at that point, but yeah, in February, that was a focus. And now everybody's talking about the conscious consumer. Uh, Talk to me about that focus. So like as a company, we've just, we've always been a conscious company. I like to use the word conscious because you know, there's like, if you're making things like we start launch this whole vegan leather line, right? So and it's amazing. And it's beautiful. But it's not necessarily eco, like animal products are more eco friendly than the vegan ones that are made from synthetic. So you can't be everything, right? But you can be conscious. So like, for me, you know, and as a mother of like three girls and a woman with like, you know, hundreds of female employees, I'm like, how do we make the best decision for a woman? And so like when we're looking at, you know, materials and and fibers and yarns and, and fabrics, I'm like, okay, so I get that something is recycled from the ocean and da da da. But like, is that good for your body? Like, do you right. want those recycled ocean plastics that sound really cool, like on your skin? I don't like, I don't want to absorb that you know, and your skin is the largest organ in the body, like it absorbs. So I like to say that we're conscious and that the decisions we make as a brand are like really about what is best. I can't Mm -hmm. all of a sudden say everything we do is, you know, sustainable. Everything we do is this, everything, but I can create capsules that like teach the consumer about those things. So we had launched like a conscious capsule, which was like all fabrics that were either organic or eco um, friendly. And then we launched our vegan leather capsule that was, um, you know, all obviously animal friendly products. And I was really proud of it because it like the leathers, some of them look better than the real ones. Like it's crazy. 
And okay. I'm like obsessed with all the vegan stuff that we're doing and I'm pushing that more and more. Um, and then what I was supposed to do, which we ended up having to push out, was a capsule with zero waste Daniel where we were giving him a lot of our items to and and dead stock fabric to create with. And he was doing a bunch of pieces with us because we weren't going to be able to like really promote it or market it or do anything live. Um, we yeah. had to delay that that collaboration but he's been such an inspiration to me because he's taught me so much about just like making my office more sustainable making your life more sustainable um some of the things I've been bummed about during COVID is like even for me I'm like oh well just like I'll give my kids like plastic water bottles because I'm like I don't I want you to just throw it out like I don't want them like right. taking a something with them so there's certain things that I feel like I I unfortunately like had a little backslide on just from a you know even like organic products and I'm like well we're gonna use that like hardcore sanitizer like so we've been a little right. bit less I think um organic during this just for the purpose of yes. germs but yes it'll all balance out but we have like a sustainable committee within our company and I think that um you know I over the next few years it's our goal to just become increasingly conscious in all areas of the product line. That's awesome. Is your customer demanding that? Is that, um, I think it's more from me and my employees, like they're proud of it and they love it. How great. Well, since it is the glossy 50 edition, I wanted to ask you if you had a look back on 2020, it could be somebody in your life. It could be people in the industry. Like who, I don't know, two to three people, who would you say is like changed fashion for the better this year? Oh my gosh. Um, who has changed fashion for the better this year? Um, Besides yourself. I mean, let's just give it to Kamala Harris because she's like going to be, I mean, for like, like anything she wears is just going to be, you know, fashion gold. I mean, how could we ever be more inspired by anyone in any industry besides our first female vice president? I mean, how do we get her to wear Alice and Olivia? I hope she does. I mean, that would be a moment. I I would cry. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's what fashion's about. I mean, she's an icon. She's a hero, you know? Yes. Oh, my God. And that white suit. OMG. Yes, definitely. That's what I kept thinking of when you said it. I was like, that white suit. (laughs) We all need one now. Oh, my God. Well, this has been perfect. We covered the bases. Stacey, thank you so much for being here. (laughs) All right. Bye. That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre Bienname. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a rating and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast. <laughs>